Good day. Hi there. Um, welcome to the A Travel Companion podcast where we talk about sustainable travel and responsible travel. And uh, today we talk about sustainability. Our special guest is Erwin Boermans, based in Melbourne and CEO of Comfort ID. That's comfortid.com. And that is a technology and management company specializing in energy efficiency, district heating and waste heat recovery. More importantly, he is a fellow Dutchy. Um, one of his hobbies is sailing. He was a professional navigator on big sailing ships. He went on to the America's Cup in New Zealand and ended up living in Australia. It was fantastic to have him on the podcast. If you would like to support us, you can do so on podcast.earth. And without further ado, here he is, Erwin Boermans. Here with uh, Erwin, Erwin Boermans. And Erin is in Melbourne, Australia, which is the other side of the world because I'm in London, UK. Erin, um, welcome. Yeah, thanks for the hosting, uh, Peter. It's a pleasure to talk with you uh, in my evening time with your morning time. Morning time. And there it's like 8 o'clock in the evening, 7 o'clock. What time is it? It's 7 o'clock now, yes. 7 o'clock, right. Okay. And Erin um, is a uh, founder and CEO of Comfort ID, and that's comfortid.com in Melbourne, Australia. Technology management specialist in energy efficiency, district heating, and waste heat recovery. And I see on your website, uh, it says they're navigating local community transformations from linear to thriving circular economies. Now, um, I did uh, some projects uh, um, that was uh, in collaboration with the UN and uh, quite a lot there about uh, circular economies. And uh, according to Wikipedia, um, it is also called uh, circularity and it's aimed at eliminating waste and continual use of resources and uh, keeping resources in use as long as uh, as long as possible and um, then what does that mean for you and how is your business uh, aligned with that well, i have to tell a little bit of my history i'm um, originally from the netherlands like me yep <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in Holland, we are uh, a bit advanced, I would say, compared to the Australians uh-huh. uh, with with engineering, uh, especially with resources. In Holland, we um, were always a bit uh, stingy or how do you say that? Um, tight. Very tight, yep. yeah. And um, we, we always are very conscious that you can do maybe something else uh-huh. where there is uh, here an enormous wasteful um, general practice. Uh, so you still can buy V8 cars. Uh, you hear them nearly every 10 minutes come through my street. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's annoying uh, that we don't have the energy conscious that we have in most European countries since the uh, energy crisis in 1974. Mm-hmm. I was uh, six years old when that energy crisis hit Holland. Yep. I had been uh, rollerblading and uh, cycling on the freeways yep. with my parents on the car-free Sundays. And uh, that was an eye-opener. And that set me up to become an engineer. Mm-hmm. I am an electronics engineer and then went on into management. And uh, heat, heat, heating, ventilation and air conditioning is my passion. Okay. So, yeah, and then I, um, I I did a bit of uh, too much work. Uh, too much work? In, yes. In, <laughs> in a period of time when I was still a bachelor, I, uh, I, I 
worked for Stadsbonen in Rotterdam. It's a housing association for students. Yeah. And um, we redeveloped empty real estate and made that into affordable housing. And uh, basically, I was the first product developer in employed by a housing association. So I created that product, Comfort ID. Yeah. In 1998, we could buy the most hated building in the country. Okay. The most hated building in the country. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, in, in the old days, you needed to pay your taxes in cash okay. um, every week to the tax office. So there was always big queues in front of that building. And that's that's why I left, because you had to go to the tax building every week. That's why I went to Melbourne instead. No, no, we, we could actually buy that <laughs> building for one euro. One euro. It was quite... Quite unique. We were privileged that we uh, were asked by the city of Rotterdam to to redevelop that building because it was heritage listed. Yeah, and uh, there was a shortage of affordable houses for starters and for elderly. Yeah, so we combined those two um, as they make magic happen. Uh, youngsters like students have uh, not enough time, mm-hmm. and they don't tend to look after themselves very much. Yeah, and um, elderly have too much time. And um, yeah, I worked uh, 300 uh, groups through that building, became famous. Okay. There's lots of publications about the buildings because we did so smart with the infrastructure. Right. And we were an example building. I asked the Prime Minister, Ruud Lubbers. Ruud Lubbers at that point, that's a long time ago, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and he was also from Rotterdam, oh, and okay. I saw him in my sailing club. <laughs> and I asked him for the for the example status of that building, and he said straight away, "Yes, uh, Erwin," because everybody always asked the prime minister for money, right. and I didn't ask him for money. I only asked him for an example status. Uh-huh. Uh, the, en- the energy uh, company was their neighbor; okay. they refused to cooperate. They refused to cooperate with you. No, they, they are not in the business of selling less energy. Right, okay. So they don't like that you do energy efficiency upgrades on a building. Wow. Has that changed? Has that changed, do you think? Or is that still the same situation now? We forced them to change with that letter that Rick Lovers wrote. Uh-huh. Because Rick Lovers understood that it was a higher purpose that we were doing. Right. We were creating affordable housing. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, we we knocked out all the old infrastructure, uh, put in very efficient infrastructure, put solar on the roof, put uh, energy distribution with individual metering in the in the whole building, yeah. and make made internet straight away connected to the internet provider uh-huh. that we invited to come and and become a tenant in the building. Right. And uh, so the, 20 years ago, they already had fiber optic straight away in two rooms of every dwelling. And that was quite unique. Uh, still now, is unique. Yeah. I, I only got it like last year in my building. So that is amazing indeed. And that's in London. And I went to New Zealand to follow my other passion, that is uh, sailing. Right. As a professional navigator on big sailing ships. I went to the America's Cup in New Zealand. Wow. And uh, I was invited there by three, three other Dutchies that were forming a new syndicate. Right. And that was later... Uh, um, called Team Oracle uh, by Larry Ellison. And they bought that startup and um, they won later the America's Cup twice. In that first week that I was in New Zealand, I met my wife, uh, Australian, and uh, not liking it on a boat at all. 
And uh, that's why I ended up here. That's why you're in Australia. I was wondering about that. Yeah, I, I have still one trademark left, uh-huh. and that's my Dutch accent. <laughs> we both have a Dutch accent, I reckon. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. So that's how you ended up in uh, in Australia. And uh, you say on your website as well, the linear economy is slowly dying. What do, what do you mean by that? Well, it has been accelerating this week, I think. Yeah. Um, the, the, all the fossil fuel based um, processes that we have mm-hmm. are all finite. Mm-hmm. How do you say it? Eindig. Yeah. They're gone um, for now. Yeah, and and the pollution that always comes with that is um, is what makes people sick. So yeah. you can't continue asking doctors to fix the mess that uh, we are creating with uh, our pollutive habits. Yeah. So you need to fix that and and go a bit more into harmony with our nature. Can you feel the you difference? Yeah. Can you feel the difference at the moment um, where you are in Melbourne? Um, obviously. Well, now now it is quite good. If you look back two months ago, we had here the massive bushfires, right. and then it was not pleasant at all. Right, you couldn't breathe here at all. Like, uh, yeah. Did, did you have to leave at that point with the bushfires, or you were still there? Were you helping helping out, or what, what I was there only in the last week when oh. it still happened? Okay, and it was three hundred kilometers away. There was the nearby right. bushfires in the Latrobe Valley. Yeah. which is a coal-fired power station area where they have a lot of brown coal mines. Right. Uh, um, a lot of very old forests were still on fire. And then it's very sad. The easterly winds um, bringing that pollution all the way to Melbourne, yeah. 300 kilometers away, and then still seeing the bad smoke hanging everywhere. You saw the smoke from 300 kilometers away. Yep, yep. Yeah. very bad to breathe. So yeah. Right. Did you have to stay inside at that point, or? Yes, we all had to. So nothing has changed, basically, then, because you have to stay inside again. Yeah, but now uh, there's hardly anybody working outside. Yeah. Yeah, So people are all having net meetings like we do. My children were just finishing their school classes, Uh and my wife also worked from home. Everyone's working from home. Education at home. Yeah. A bit like. Back in time, 1974 times. Yeah. I remind you of Holland, uh, I suppose, then, during those times. Yes. Sunday, free coffee Sundays. Now, it says here on your website um, that, that what you do is obviously um, improving heating uh, and cooling at the least cost to the environment uh, and to the bottom line as well, which is very important, uh, I think, because if people say that they spend less money and at the same time can be more sustainable. And that's not, not only people, but also municipalities and um, anyone else. That actually will make a difference at a certain point because you can see it in your back pocket that it comes back to you in a good way and you're doing, doing something good for the environment as well. Um, you, uh, How do you feel about that? Does it make sense, yeah? Um, yeah, I have to explain that a little bit yeah. because uh, the... the, the Energy consumption is directly related with how much water you use. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are the driest country in the world. Uh, Australia has a significant problem with water, yep. uh, water shortages. And um, so if you if you are very wasteful with your energy, you're also very wasteful with your water. And if you don't have enough water, then you need to become a bit smarter. There's uh, very smart systems in Britain and in Holland operational. District Energy um, saves about 70% of its water 
because yeah. you don't dump heat into the environment. You just uh, dump the heat in a district network with, okay. with pipes in the ground uh, for flow and return uh, on a high temperature level or a medium temperature level. You can distribute heat and you can sell that. Well, unfortunately, Australians um, don't think like that. So we have had one district energy grid here in Dandenong, yeah. which is about one and a half hour drive from where I live. Uh, we had that operational for about six years and it's been recently been decommissioned. It's very sad that um, the waste heat from the co-generation plant um, now doesn't get used anymore. They have switched off the piping system and only dumped the heat into the environment again. Right. Um, the businesses nearby, like a big glass factory and, and waste to energy, uh, basically always needs district energy mm -hmm. nearby. Data centers like Google and like Facebook uh -huh. select a location nowadays where they can give away their waste heat. You don't even have to pay for their waste heat. Uh -huh. That's why I started reaching out with the bosses of uh, universities to offer my services to teach engineering students, to teach environmental scientists this knowledge that is very common because there's 5,000 of these projects around the world operational. Yep. So I've been seeding this idea for 10 years and we've had success with one, but um, yeah, I've got more success in other countries. Right. But is that, is that about to change, you think? Is that, uh, do, do you think that's um, the period that we're going through now and before that, uh, the bushfires, do you think that people are more aware of the situation in the world? And um, um, I hope so. You hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, then, then you also have here uh, besides district heating and cooling. I, I saw another point here: heat pumps. That's more for residential customers, right? Or am I um, am I incorrect there? No, that's correct. Um, so I was talking very briefly about different temperature levels. Yeah, <clears throat> the traditional high temperature district energy is what you see in every photo made in New York. Mm -hmm. You always see steam in every photo coming out of the steam-based district energy grids in, in the city center of Manhattan. Yeah. Um, Which is quite nice in wintertime, by the way. Yeah, but it is very inefficient and you yeah. cannot put um, good maintenance uh, on those pipes. Right. In Europe, in Denmark especially, you have a lower temperature level with mm -hmm. water mm -hmm. as the carrier of the energy. So you go up to 80 degrees. And then you don't have the very nasty pressure going through the pipes. You don't have the big temperature differences between flow and return that that makes it so harsh for any material to last such a long time. Uh, like in New York, it's everywhere leaking. So in Denmark, there's projects that are already 80 years old and still with the original pipes, with the original valves. It's still very profitable for investors. And the local and district energy grids are usually cooperatives. So you, when you buy a house, you need to buy a share into the district energy mm -hmm. uh, cooperative, which is very useful. Then you don't get the ignorant behavior that you see if there's, there's no real ownership, like in New York. Yeah. Um, that that ignorance is, is always uh, yeah devastating, what I see. Um, it's even dangerous, and um, that's what you now see also with the dangerous behavior with the coronavirus in New York. Mm -hmm. Basically, no, nobody's the boss, and they all cry 
cry, cry for help, but nobody really knows how to fix this mess. And I've written recently an article on LinkedIn because uh, the, the U.S. is basically the, the example for most Australians. Uh-huh. Uh, in the U.S., you distribute energy in buildings with big ducted systems. Uh-huh. You use air as the carrier of the energy to distribute heating or cooling into the room where you are. Uh-huh. And it's insanely inefficient. So you use eight times more space. It's very uncomfortable. So you always have a cold, nasty draft in your head, yeah. in your neck, summer and winter. So in summer, you have the cooling running yeah. from your roof. And in winter, you have the heating, which is also coming from the roof. And by the time it reaches you, it's uh, it's cold. Right. So that's why I always joke that I've never been colder than where I am living now. In- <laughs> Is that so? Really? In Australia? That, that doesn't sound like it is very cold in Australia. I don't know. But it's Melbourne, uh, is it? So I don't know. Maybe you have a wrong perception we don't, there. We don't have the building quality that you have in Western Europe. <laughs> so it's just uh, in your house, you're colder than anywhere else. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. Yep. If it's four degrees outside, it's yeah. inside my house, eight degrees. Wow. And uh, you never ever have that in a house in Holland, no. eight degrees inside. No, uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> trying to educate people that's what you have to do right T- tend to do that still a bit too much even to my children really do they listen to you then your children or i've got two teenagers yeah so they're in that in that rejection age they, they don't want to listen to anything basically yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly. all right so um then we have well there's a lot of news uh, with regards to the coronavirus and uh, quite a few articles as well uh saying that it poses a threat uh, really, to uh, climate action. Um, UK newspaper here, Guardian, uh, as well as greenbiz.com, uh, they're quoting sources. One of the sources is the Bloomberg New Energy Finance. The other one is the uh, IEA, the International Energy Agency, uh, I believe it stands for. And they warned that COVID-19 will cause a slowdown in the world's clean energy Transition, um, B and EF actually, uh, they have an analysis and they say this uh, crisis uh, could deal a sizable blow to the global attempts to roll out um, clean energy uh, sources. Um, so that that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like, uh, like a good thing, really. Um, so there's a damp outlook for clean energy, also for electrical vehicles. Um, you mentioned to me on WhatsApp already when we have a very quick chat that uh, business is is obviously you're at home. Everyone is at home, I, I see. Um, it's dried up a little bit. There's obviously quite a few companies in the world have the same thing there. Uh, Tesla closed down some of their factories um, in Eastern Europe. They have called on the EU to abandon its Green Deal, focus on the on the spread of uh, fighting the uh, no, the coronavirus really. Of the, so that that that's really on people's minds. What what do you think about these articles? Is this correct? Do you think it will go the other way? What well, what do you think will happen really when it all blows over? Um, yes, it is a war economy. We really need it. Um, okay. We had the entrenched business as usual. Yeah. Um, uh, people that that were just not willing to change, and I could name them out. I, I sometimes even did in public speaking arrangements. Okay. Um, we had big lobby groups from the coal companies, especially here in Australia. We are very addicted to coal. Right. That's a, that's the economy, though, isn't it? So I... 
the, the main core of the of the economy is yeah. is based on coal export. Yeah. That is now all collapsing. So China has offered um, or has announced already three years ago to buy less coal. Right. Uh, since Xi Jinping is in power, um, yeah, we we've had a significant change to the circular economy. All Chinese children yep. need to read all the books from Professor Gunther Pauli on the circular economy. Wow. So he's written about three hundred fables, right. all little elements of uh, of the, the 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 blue economy or the circular economy mm-hmm. are being highlighted in those little kitty books, right. and they've been illustrated by a partner of uh, Professor Gunther Pauli, and they are readable in in, in normal language. Uh, they've been translated in a lot of languages as well, and they are downloadable from uh, Guntersfables.com. Guntersfables.com. Yes, mm-hmm. that is the website where you can download them, you can buy them. and um, Also in Dutch, I hope. Yes, yes, in all languages. In right. Chinese, they are the most popular, right. of course, because of course. They, are, yeah, they have to they're be. forced through all the schools right. to be used in schools, right. which is good. And um, I had the privilege at, as a sessional lecturer at uh, the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. Ah, okay. Um, to host a delegation from China just after Xi Jinping came into power, yeah, about five and a half years ago, uh, a professor that is a friend of mine, who I helped in a private situation with his son, having severe problems with asthma in his house. Basically, the doctors could not fix that asthma problem, and I fixed that wow. for him. So wow. I had an enormous strong band with that professor, and he got a phone call from Beijing. Uh, yeah, he's, a, he's still a Chinese passport holder. Yeah. And uh, they were coming the next week with a plane load of delegates. And um, he couldn't say no because he was still a Chinese passport holder. <laughs> so he put me in charge of that delegation. Wow. And I'm not uh, a big business owner. They didn't want to meet with them. And they didn't want to meet with government either uh, because then it's always uh, fluffed up uh, business as usual stories and yeah. they were in an urgent situation to fix 13 major challenges okay. so food security was one of them uh, their health situation was a major one mm-hmm. water was another one and energy so as i don't speak any chinese i speak seven languages but not chinese and they didn't speak any english there was an interesting barrier that was bridged by that professor excellent he was your translator he was the translator, indeed, and uh, I made slides, a huge deck of slides for all those challenges. Mm-hmm. I invited a few other uh, co-presenters, and they implemented absolutely everything. So they have district energy going in everywhere. They have high-voltage DC everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a, a very efficient way of distributing energy that we is in Holland, in, at Kema in uh, in the east part of Holland, uh, developed. So they went the next week to Holland, really? sent them also on to uh, to Denmark and to Sweden to learn about district energy and about energy metering and, and wow. food production in Holland. You can learn that the best in the glass houses yeah. where you feed the waste CO2 to the plants. So the plants grow quicker and they produce quicker um, a, a buck for the farmer 
than any other farmer in the world um, because he sells more tomatoes than any other farmer can can grow. And uh, that's that thanks to the oversupply of CO2 uh, that he puts in his glass houses. So it's good for something, basically, yeah? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. CO2 is poisonous for us, but uh, the plants grow quicker. Of course. Yeah. If they get an oversupply. Yeah. Uh, I'm also involved with the oldest solar racing team that we have here in Melbourne. Yep. From Darwin in the north all the way to Adelaide. And it's a race over 3,000 kilometers over normal roads. Solar car racing. Yes. What, what, I, I haven't heard of that. What, what is that? Well, it's basically an, an academic event. So a lot of universities from all over the world uh, develop a solar car. Okay. It's basically an electric car with a solar roof. Okay. And uh, yeah, the more efficient your battery management is, Yeah. The, the higher your chances are that you win. Okay. It's technically difficult because it's such a harsh environment. It's basically desert okay. where you are passing all the time road trains that are trucks, four or five trucks behind each other. Yeah. I hear a dog in the background there. <laughs> he, he wants to be in a conversation as well, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going for a walk, I think. Um, World Solar Challenge is uh, existing since 1987, and my team, Solar Team Aurora, uh, has played a role in every event. Okay. Uh, the last year's version, we were there as uh, education, educated a lot of the uh, children along the way, and it's it's nice to give back to the local. Uh, rural towns that have a lot of Aboriginal kids that uh, are underprivileged, right. that don't get enough attention. Mm -hmm. They don't even have the money to go ever to a capital town wow. as the distances are just too big. What kind of distances are we talking about? Thousands of kilometers. Thousands so, of kilometers. Yeah, if you do that on foot, yeah. most of these kids don't even have money to buy shoes. So, to, to, to create mutual respect, if you allow these kids to sit in a solar racing car at their own school ground, mm -hmm. they'll be, that's, that's a life changing experience. And we do that every three years. The top judge teams are on the top end. Right. Uh, They're really well financed for some reason. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, uh, the Eindhoven team has won the, the, the luxury class. Eindhoven, Philips most likely is uh, involved. Uh, yeah. Philips plays a role there. Yeah. They do, they used to do a lot in car electronics. Right. Um, uh, semiconductors is playing a major role in this field right. of battery management. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had the team Nuon from the, from the Delft uh, University um, catch fire about two hours before the finish. Right. And they used to win the racing class. And um, that was devastating. I was standing at the finish line with all these families, all these parents of these students. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden, the, the message got in that they their car was on fire. They are over uh, over pushed their battery. So then, if you are draining your battery too much mm -hmm. and then start charging it too fast, mm -hmm. then it catches fire. Uh -huh. It happened about uh, twelve years ago to our own car as well, but uh, this happened now to the to the car in the lead. So then. Um, well, yeah, I hope they, they were yeah. okay though, were they? Um, yeah, the, the driver got out and yeah. um, all they had at the finish was the number plate of the car. Right. 
Right. Then, well, at least you don't have to take uh, much back to uh, to Delft. Uh, no. So no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of the of the race. It is a race. Mm -hmm. They were pushed by the Belgian team, and um, they allowed it to be pushed over the edge. Right. And yeah, but, but obviously they wanted to win, and sometimes that happens, right? Yeah, that happens in every race, yeah. of course. And um, yeah, that's it's, when you when you have been working for two or three years as a student on that project, and then see it finish just before the finish, that is mm -hmm. uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, um, we have here the uh, with, with with what you're saying, what you're doing. Obviously, you seem to be working in different areas as well. You're giving a lot of advice. Uh, you're involved with the uh, solar race. Uh, you're working. You're working obviously with uh, Chinese delegates. Uh, a lot of people say that situations where we are now. Uh, situation of distress with the virus and for you earlier as well uh, the bushfires there are opportunities there really to push through your ideas and to at the same time um, opportunity for people to become more successful and for business to become more successful you think that is possible um, with, with, with this to make people think in a more energy efficient uh, uh, way how, how, how have you thought of any other opportunities that might come up during these periods of distress for yourself and for the world? I think the, 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 the deepest dip hasn't been reached yet. Okay. When do you think that will come in Australia? Um, I thought we were reaching that already when uh, when the Glenfield fire disaster yeah. happened in London. Mm -hmm. uh, Australia has exactly the same problem with thousands of buildings. Yeah that have been cladded with basically um, material that can catch fire very easily. Yeah. Uh, with a cigarette, you can set fire to a building on the outside, and there's no building services that uh, sprinkles water on the outside when it catches fire. Mm -hmm. So Same it's an enormous yeah. problem. Uh, it's all finger-pointing problems that have been caused by lack of management. Right and cutting uh, corners in in the building process. Obviously, here they did it because of um, because they just wanted to do things in the cheapest cheapest way. Uh, and obviously, you know, there has been a lot of criticism for that. Is that was that the same? Is that the same in Australia? That money is really an issue there doing things and yeah, yeah, and and that nobody wanted to take responsibility of right. saying no. Uh huh. And that's that's why you say a lot of finger pointing as well, right? unfortunately yeah. and the lawyers are the winning uh, the winning profession so i'm quite outspoken in a dutch way yeah we we are we're both dutch i know that yeah students love me for that okay well i always teach them more than what their curriculum specifies me to teach uh -huh. and i always offer a coaching role for them so if they are in, in if they're graduated and they come into a workplace where they have difficult challenges they are always free to contact me. It seems to be all collapsing now mm -hmm. with this financial crisis and the uh, coronavirus. So, is there an opportunity there to to push through your ideas faster or more, you know, uh, to a wider audience? Or how do you feel about that? Yeah, um, but we need more Dutchies here. I think I'll, I'll love to come to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, solar cars, uh, why don't we produce them? Uh, uh -huh. there's, there's one little spin-off from the tank team in Eindhoven yeah. called Lightyear One that is actually 
finally in the process of starting to build these solar cars for uh-huh. public to be bought. Right. Nobody else in the world is doing that. Seems to be an open market, yeah. indeed. Um, yeah. There's a huge market. Uh, yeah. There's a big crash in the in the UK with all the V8s also and the supercars not being bought anymore. Yeah. Uh, I was reading last week that the DTM racing cars in Germany okay. uh, are also on the collapse uh, because uh, BMW, Mercedes, and uh, and Porsche have pulled out. All right. So I've now written in the last few days proposals for big, big, significant professional sponsors. So the professionalism of racing uh, is a huge opportunity where I would like to have help from the British Mm -hmm. uh, racing, uh, basically ingrained in British culture. Mm -hmm. Have so many racing tracks, that's, uh, that's not funny. Everywhere yeah. little towns have racing tracks. Yeah, in, no. in yeah. the There's a lot of technology coming out of the Asian racing industry as well, though. So um, if you could steer that in a certain way, uh, if solar cars could be integrated in that, a lot of the um, luxury car manufacturers now at the moment as well, they're all producing electrical cars. Um, yeah. So and this is one click more advanced. It's basically an electric car with a solar roof. With a solar roof on top that automatically recharges the battery. Uh, and yes. obviously the race is there to make that happen in the most efficient uh, way, I take it. Yep. Yeah. And uh, my car is, for instance, only being used maybe once in, in, in every 10 days. Okay. Uh, I do everything on my bike. Right. Um, Same here, but you're Dutch and we are so am I. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're practically born on a bike, aren't we? Yeah, we have it in our genes uh, for my grandparents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can make, make a joke about that, but I, I will hold that back. Uh, as, as a, from the Rotterdam area, we, we used to joke about that. If you saw a German and you always asked, or yeah, like, where's to get my bike back, basically? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to take this out of the podcast, I reckon. <laughs> To, to, to the people of your audience, I have to explain that maybe a little bit that the Germans invaded the Netherlands and they, they stole all, they all, the, all. <laughs> all the bikes. Yeah, and they used to cement them into the walls, didn't they? The Dutch yes. used to cement them in the Second World War in the in the walls. So the Germans asked for the bike. They said, "Yeah, go ahead, there it is," and they couldn't yeah. take it out, of course. But that was just a, a joke uh, there. So yeah, there, there, there's obviously lot, quite lots. Um, that uh, can can be taken from these situations in, in a very positive way, yeah. And you yes, and that's that, what so. I always try to do. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of depression. Uh, people are on antidepressants even in primary school, yeah, in secondary school, and uh, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's sad. Uh, you can, you see also a lot of drowning of problems now with alcohol. Yeah. Uh, first, they declared the alcohol shops not a primary uh, shop. Yeah. So then you saw panic buying from the toilet rolls uh, fly over to the panic buying of all alcohol. Same here. It's insane. <laughs> Same here. And now, now they said actually that uh, the the uh, here in London or in the UK, uh, they say that those places where you can actually uh, buy alcohol are now essential places. So you can yes, actually the go same here. Same yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but, but it doesn't fix the, the deeper problem no. that uh, people are just not seeing an end out of this dark tunnel. Yeah, 
And I always try to be the light at the end of the tunnel yeah. and show that there's a huge suite of problem solvers mm-hmm. that you can just start implementing. Yeah. There's not one silver bullet. Uh, we have a strong lobby here in Australia, um, basically by the business as usual, big companies, they want nuclear energy yeah. to come. Uh, they pay campaigns and they, uh, they're not so... Uh, informed people uh, believe those campaigns and um, yeah I'm then one of those blunt ones that stands up in a lecture and just says how it is yeah if they are willing to do something in Fukushima or in Chernobyl yeah and fix that nuclear mess then they are welcome to come here but of course they don't do that and they don't even acknowledge that there's a huge problem there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's people like me that are hard to find. Uh, you, you you need to keep doing that. Otherwise, you end up making the problem even bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, we have a, quite a grand swell in Australia with communities that are fed up and hiring me okay. to help their community transition. Okay. It's a bit like the Grüne Wende. The, the green change you had in Germany after Putin closed the gas valve to Western Europe twice in the midst of winter. Uh, the, the only one I can talk about is Cowra, C-O-W-R-A, in New South Wales. Right. It's a small town of about 9,000 people. They had um, the lowest priority in the electricity grid in Australia. Right. So if it's hot hot, hot days, over 40 degrees, yeah. they get switched off. They didn't know they had a celebrity living there, Kate Blanchett, the famous movie star. Yeah. Um, she had a film uh, crew there filming her on such a massive blackout moment. And she put a local architect uh, in charge of yeah. that transition. Yeah. They organized a vote. 90% of the local community voted to go off grid, to take the lead, and to organize a bioenergy solution. They won about two years later, with that story alone, the second prize at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Wow, okay, they went to the WEF, wow, okay, yeah. Yeah, and and the celebrity status of Kate Blanchett helps push through those boundaries. So we should put a celebrity in every community. It can be even a Greta Thunberg equivalent mm-hmm. um, to find that kind of quality person to to tell that story and to teach them. And uh, the the previous uh, speaker at your blog, Lars Ling, um, is playing a role for me there as well. I visited him. Uh, he visited me. Mm-hmm. Together we are helping uh, communities to transition yeah the more people you involve at a certain point isn't it uh, much easier that someone well much more likely at a certain point that someone says well this is going to cost too much money and will make no difference anyway it's not going to happen sometimes i keep saying that also to my children there's always 50 reasons to say no exactly yeah. and it's that one reason that pushes through everything right okay be be that one reason so you're, you're that's very optimistic uh so you're like lars indeed uh, very optimistic <laughs> <laughs> although nobody asked me to ask the prime minister in the netherlands uh-huh. uh, 22 years ago for that example status 
And I said, well, you're in charge of this whole country. You can help us uh-huh. get this real innovation pushed through all these boundaries. And he did. Uh-huh. So you just have to ask. You just have to take that chance and just do it, basically. Uh, and and basically, like Greta Thunberg also doesn't know everything. Yeah. But she's blunt, she's blunt enough to, to say it how it is. Oh, yeah. That's, that is quite amazing. She says, I don't know the details yeah. that this... Uh, this cannot continue. This pollution uh, that comes out of cars just needs to stop. Yeah. And she's right. I wanted to talk to you about well, a little bit about the coronavirus and uh, in Australia. I saw this 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 morning on the World Health Organization websites now 2,800 uh, confirmed cases in Australia. Um, most people are confined to their house, I suppose. But um, like we talked about opportunities here. Uh, as well during these areas. The Surf franchise has one of the busiest sales weekends since Christmas uh, in, in Australia. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, thing, there's things going on. You are confined to your house or you can still go out to, to do things or how does it work for you in Melbourne? Um, basically, I do everything from home. Basically, there's nobody in the trains anymore. There's hardly any cars on the road anymore. Uh, what I've been very busy this afternoon was... Uh, bridging a gap um, with hospitals. Uh, there's some very greedy people have bought up all the share, the spare stock of these face masks yeah. and these these bigger masks that, that protect the health workers. All the uh, laser cut machines yeah. that are idle in the university buildings, take those machines into production, start producing these brickets with a 3D printer, yeah. you can do that 24 hours a day. You just grab a robot, you program the robot, and we have quite a lot in Melbourne of that kind of production facility. All right. All in, and I've, I've been with delegations from Thailand and from Malaysia at those facilities. So I know the people there, and that's what occupied me for nearly six hours today. And a lot of people have been made redundant in the last three days. Yeah. Uh, Virgin Airlines is sacking on Sunday 8,000 of their staff members. Mm-hmm. And so 90% of their staff uh, is not welcome on Monday anymore. That's devastating. Yeah. Uh, 16 cases in my little shire already is that so? of Corona. Yeah. Uh, we have allowed uh, a cruise ship in Sydney yeah. to release their uh, passengers. About 2,000 passengers came off that ship. Right. And there were a lot of known cases already when they were still on the ship. Yeah. And they've been dispersed all over the country now. We've closed the borders for uh, for flights, so all planes are grounded. I, I saw that, yeah. And, and, and all these people are infecting their own little groups, and it's all spreading like wildfire. China had these fires already coming to the surface early, um, early November last year. Yeah, November. I saw somewhere as well, some of the, uh, one of the um, specialists here had an article as well saying November uh, last year. It was actually, most people think it only came at the beginning of this year, but November was actually when it's uh, starting to spread. You're right. Yeah. And, and when I was uh, in Europe early January, there was this massive close down all of a sudden of Beijing with absolutely no cars anymore mm-hmm. on that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, we should have done all, exactly on that moment the same thing. Because yeah. it was probably already going then around in Australia. Yeah. People have been sick. It's a bit like the American situation. They also imported their tests from the Netherlands very late. Mm-hmm. 
and now they're the world leaders in in number of cases of yeah, corona. Yeah, spreading. I mean, it's spreading much faster in America than anywhere else um, at the moment. Yep. Yeah, and Holland is actually also spreading um, quite badly as well, though I hear it's uh, um, quite significant um, there as well. It just seems to go from country to country, and then, uh, but you know, um, uh, the amount of deaths in Australia have been, you know, limited so far, and hopefully that stays that way. But uh, that, that's why I asked really. You make me trigger talk about um, the, the the spreading mechanism a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, uh, I've highlighted I've highlighted uh, the ducted systems for energy distribution. Yeah, one of my idols is Professor Annelies from Braunschweig. That sounds Dutch to me. From TU Eindhoven. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a microbiologist by trade. Certain countries have a very different pattern in why people die. Okay, and she called that science gerontology. Gerontology. Uh, that is looking over different disciplines why people die. Uh-huh. And uh, the number one uh, was basically the the ducted systems. Uh, those ducted systems, I have to explain you a little bit. They are basically either tubes that yeah. we use in Australian homes. Yeah. Sweden after the energy crisis. Uh, made very bold steps and eliminated ducted systems completely out of every building Wow! in 1974 already okay. because they're inefficient and they make people sick. Australia ridicules me when I say that on public. Right. And um, uh, we have now been working for two years on hospitals here um, to do the same thing like we did 23 years ago in Dubai. In in Dubai, yeah. The, the ruler of Dubai basically lost two family members on very nasty bacteria. Right. One that grows in these dirty ducted systems right. uh, called golden staff bacteria. Okay. And the other bacteria grows in most Asian hot water surfaces mm-hmm. in, uh, in water that has been kept at a too high temperature. Right. And uh, that's called the Legionella bacteria. Right. Also grows in cooling towers here. There's also another virus, by the way, Hanta virus, uh, that's being spread by uh, air coming from rat droppings, I believe, um, coming from China. Yeah, that's, as well. a, that's, a, that's, that's a different way of hygiene as yeah. well. Uh, so that's why. Can that be spread via, via these uh, systems in buildings? Or? Well, they're, they're a paradise for any bacteria. You basically have to strip them out and, and, and replace them with hydronic heating, like I did for that professor. Right. And that makes a difference, huh? Pipes of water in the floors and in the walls. Yeah. Uh, here, it's still a novelty. In the UK, you are much more advanced. You have now quite stringent building legislation where you have to put a heat pump in, where you only have an efficient heat pump if you do hydronic heating and hydronic cooling in the yeah. floors and the walls. Yeah. Uh, here it's it's maybe half a percent of the newly built homes where you do that. So there's a massive market then in principle. Yeah, but um, I still have the business as usual lobby. Yeah, educating. There's a lot of uh, entrenched um, academics that don't want my story to be published. Right. Um, I say it anyway to my students because students need to know, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, the world's best practices need to be implemented by governments. 
and you can see the big, big problems that okay. doctors cannot fix, like asthma problems are, are that big. We have the biggest problems together with New Zealand with asthma in the world. Mm -hmm. yeah, asthma is prevalent very much in New Zealand, you say, more than other countries. Yes. And, and in Australia, Australia and, in Australia. and New Zealand are the highest asthma levels in the world. Okay. And that is directly related with those dirty ducted systems. Wow. And Professor Van Braunschweig indicated that with her research, that that was the main reason why we had to ban them in Holland. Mm -hmm. And she got them banned because she was so passionate. Mm -hmm. She pushed on every stage her story through and she succeeded. And that's the, the same role I'm trying to play here. And uh, it's not easy. She didn't have an easy life either. She's retired, but she succeeded. Yeah. And I uh, try to do the same thing. And uh, uh, yeah, that's the story basically of why I am doing what I'm doing. There's, there's other elements that I would like to discuss with you about cycling and <laughs> cycling, yeah, yeah, I, I love cycling. It's also very good for the environment, that. I would say. <laughs> where can people find you? Information about what you do, about uh, what you teach. Where do they go? Uh, the, the easiest is is on LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, link, LinkedIn.com forward slash Boermans. Okay, okay. And you have a website as well, hey? Uh, ComfortID. Yeah, I've got dot com. ComfortID.com is for community energy projects. If you want to hire me for a speaking gig, I have a little blurb uh, called uh, about.me forward slash Erin dot Boermans. Okay. Where you have conference stories where I've been presenting about. Uh, I like working in countries where they are welcome you and treating you really well. Uh, like the Asian countries, uh, Vietnam, um, Malaysia, uh -huh. they treat you absolutely mm -hmm. like God when you arrive there. Uh, that you take that that trip all the way to help them. And um, then as a result, I get guest speakers out of those countries mm -hmm. to speak for my students. Uh, so it's, it's empowering them and then they help you back. Um, that's a massive groundswell um, where we also need the British to help, in my opinion. Um, I did a talk at the palace, the Prince Andrew used to organize these and offered the, um, the stage to do a three minute pitch. I did that in 19, um, no, in, in, in 2018, in November, together with my biggest friend, Klaas Visser from Bendigo. Uh, I can tell my story in one and a half minute. I gave the other one and a half minute to him. He's 80 years old now. He's been very strongly been advocating about making the nasty refrigerants in cooling systems like they used to be before World War II. So we used to cool with compress the, the compressor with a refrigerant called CO2. Mm -hmm. And um, he's still being ridiculed. He's still not being taken serious by the researchers that are in the in the bag of the big chemical companies. Mm -hmm. Those very nasty chemical refrigerants, they all have patents on them and are toxic for us humans. 
uh, whereas CO2 is, a, is not toxic really. Uh, plants grow quicker as a result. Uh, you can make beer with CO2 really well. And uh, the temperatures are a bit higher uh, when you are making a cooling system work with CO2. So we've made a big um, impact in that talk at a government house in, uh, in, in Melbourne. Uh, and after that talk, the new chairperson of Tesla came to us, Robin Denholm. She's an Australian. Uh, she was put in charge of Elon Musk because Elon was uh, playing a bit too much with his Twitter account. She wanted a, a heat pump in those Tesla cars. Now we've got a big win, the latest released uh, Model Y tes Tesla car mm -hmm. has a heat pump uh, for the heating and for the cooling built in. Wow. So that's a, that's a big win. And uh, yeah, that's, that's that is very what good. you can do with just not giving up and asking for help yeah. and being offered a help. And sharing and, information and just, as well. Right. Yes. In its latest model, it's implemented and it's setting the example, telling the story. And, and yeah, I don't need to be a hero again, like in Holland. Uh -huh. I'm just so insanely proud that this is now happening. It's brilliant. It's and absolutely brilliant. I've made a lot of interviews with other podcast uh, broadcasters, uh, even two that have been started up by students of mine. Right. Um, I keep repeating the same story um, very often. Uh -huh. Because they love that so much that I that I keep repeating the same thing over and over. Um, with a, sometimes an interval of three years, I sell the same, the same spiel again. And and it's not it's not rocket science what I'm saying, you know. Uh -huh. Farming practices that are being used in the glass houses uh -huh. are insanely smart, completely in circle, circular economies, circular economy, and, yeah. and, and, a, and a local level. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the the. the the products they are selling at the auctions, um, like capsicums and um, cucumbers and flowers, are not the products where they make money with. Farmers make money with their power station because they they are co cooperative. All the farmers have shares in that power station. So all the profits they make yeah. in summer and in winter, yeah. the power generation comes from that power station. Oh, really? That's been... That's been replicated from the model in uh, in Denmark. So the, all the circular local blue economies are thriving. They are so resilient, they will last through these crises. They were hit very badly when it was announced that the UK was, was leaving the EU. Yeah. It's the main engine of, of the food supplies, of the fruits and veggies. Uh, Holland is the second largest producer of them in the world. Yeah. It's mainly happening all in these glass houses, very close to the capital, The Hague. Mm -hmm. I've seen them. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, but obviously, if they make money from another in another way, uh, as you say, they're very resilient. They will get through most crises anyway. So that's good news. Obviously, that will set an example as well for other industries to follow, perhaps. Yes, but. The, the other great angle I wanted to share still what happened on Monday. Mm -hmm. uh, all the restaurants were all of a sudden closed in the Netherlands. Yeah. 
close to the high-end restaurants. Within half an hour, closed. I heard, yeah. Like they had 30 minutes to close their doors, uh, from what I hear, in, in the Netherlands. Yes. That's, that's, that's quite... Uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. As a result from the high-end restaurants closing, yeah. Rob Baan, the Dutchman, uh, a very smart engineer, very entrepreneur, smart entrepreneur, started making old herbs again in his glass houses. So from the 17th century, nice old-fashioned herbs uh-huh. uh, were used in those high-end restaurants. And he had glass houses full of them. Yeah. And he reached out on LinkedIn, what can I do? Because all restaurants are forced to be closed. Yeah. And I straight away, because I was in my time zone, I was working, he was nearly going to bed. Yeah. I straight away offered help with Klaas Fischer. Come on, let's, let's freeze all this. Let's start an export market. Okay. For all these high-end, top-quality herbs that are only being used in top-end restaurants in Holland, yeah. but nobody uh, everywhere in the world you, you can't buy it. Nobody's growing them, and it, he was so grateful for doing that straight away. And uh, yeah, truckloads of that um, <laughs> herb was otherwise being dumped on the on the on the, the rubbish tip, and uh, is now getting a an export label on it and might be exported to the UK and to Australia. Wow. So probably making more money out of it that way as well. Well, of course, you always have startup problems. It has to go through hoops and hurdles when you develop a new product. Some things can't go straight away uh, in the first way. Okay. But yeah, he had never even thought of that. And uh, as I had lived in Holland, I made that connection about six or seven years ago. Uh, because I heard a passionate farmer talk in Kaura about him. Yeah. I reached out to him and I said, well, I would like to invite you to come and, and do a remote talk for Kaura's farming community to offer help. How do you set up a, a glasshouse? How do you select your seeds? How do you create a market for your products? The real passionate people yeah. break through all these boundaries and we help each other in crisis situations anyway. Yeah, that's brilliant indeed. And um I want to thank you very much for being on the podcast. That's a, it's an absolute pleasure, Peter. Yeah. And uh, I'm more than happy to help you in, in, in other projects and your listeners, of course. <laughs> Fantastic. Uitig bedankt. Tot ziens. Bye. Bye. <laughs>